So commencing at verse 19 in Genesis chapter 25. This is the account of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean from Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, uh, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each, each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red. His whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hands grasping Esau's heel. So they named, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man staying among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. That is why he's also called Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. If you're new with us, You've joined us at a good time because we're starting a new series in Genesis. We've actually been working on this for two years. Uh, we, we began two years ago in the first bit of Genesis. We looked at Abraham's story last year. And now for the next few weeks, we're going to look at the story of Isaac and then Jacob. Um, and as, as Colin mentioned, these stories might be familiar to some of you. But as we look at them, I want you to remember that Genesis is not just a story about these kind of famous Bible characters. In fact, this is a story about God. Genesis begins, in the beginning, God, and then every verse thereafter reveals more of who this God is and what He is like. And so we're coming now to consider who God is as we look at the story of Jacob and Esau. So I'm going to pray, um, and then we'll get into it. Let's pray. Father God, thanks for your word, this word that reveals you. Help us to see who you are this morning and help us to delight in it. You are unlike any other that we know. You are sometimes confusing and even troubling to us. Lord, this morning, help us to see your goodness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you grabbed an outline, there's an there's a outline on the back that you can follow along with, um, otherwise, 
There we go. I've got it up there. But when I was in primary school, my kids went back to school this week, uh, but when I was in primary school, we didn't have a canteen, as we called it, or a tuck shop, as they seem to be called in Queensland. Uh, But what we did have at school was one solitary Coke machine. And so for a large part of my primary education, that became the focus of my time at school. The Coke machine. I wanted what was in the Coke machine. Me and all my friends wanted what was in the Coke machine. We wanted that rich, sugary goodness. We craved it. But, of course, our parents did not give us money to buy things from the Coke machine. But because the Coke machine was kind of sat away in this little alcove, away from the eyes of prying teachers, me and my friends were able to spend quite a lot of time studying the Coke machine, looking for chinks in its armour, manipulating its weaknesses, doing whatever we could to try to get the treasure that lay within without paying $1.20. Well, for quite a lot of people today, uh, God is quite like that Coke machine. You see, many people today recognise that God is a source of goodness. He has good things that he dispenses to people. He is the God who makes the sun rise and the rain fall. He is the God who gives health and wealth. He is the God that even allows some people to win the lottery. And so people recognise that God is this, this source of goodness and that he has within his power the ability to bless you, to make your life wonderful. But what people are less sure about is how to get these good things out of God. People are like me and my friends with the Coke machine, and so they wonder, how do I get God to bless me? Why isn't God giving me the things that I want? Well, this morning we're jumping back into the book of Genesis, and today we're going to be considering the God who blesses. It's actually quite a prominent theme throughout the book of Genesis. God blesses people. But specifically this morning, we're asking how God blesses people. We know God blesses. We sing about God's blessing. We sing, praise God, from whom all blessings flow. But how does he bless? Well, this story of Isaac and his sons sheds some light on that question. So this morning, there's three things we're going to see about the way God blesses. You can see them on your handouts. We're going to see that God blesses how he chooses. God blesses when he chooses. And God blesses whom he chooses. But before we get to that, it's worth doing just a quick recap to get our bearings here. Because we're jumping back into the middle of a book that we began studying two years ago. But back then we began at the beginning with the God who spoke the whole world into existence and who chose to bless his creation. He filled the world with every good thing. He made a world perfectly suited to life. But, of course, we saw how Adam and Eve despised God's blessing. They they rejected God's blessing. They undermined his authority, they rebelled against him, and so they were cursed. They were cut off from God's blessing, cut off from God's presence. 
pushed out of the garden, sent out to labor and toil and ultimately to die. And then things get worse. We read about Adam and Eve's children, Cain killing his brother. We read about the world so wicked that God chose to destroy it by flood. We read about a humanity uniting itself against God and against his rule at Babel. But just as you thought all hope for God's world was lost, God again chose to bless. And we considered this last year in Genesis 12 where God calls Abraham and promises to bless him. He promises to bless Abraham with land. He promises to bless Abraham with a family that would grow into a great nation. And he promises to bless Abraham, he promises that through that nation, the family of Abraham, that he would bless all the world. And this is a hugely important point in biblical history. Those promises that God made to Abraham become the thread that runs right throughout the storyline of the whole Bible. And if you follow that thread all the way along, we see God's promises finally fulfilled, completed in Jesus, the son of Abraham, who brings God's blessing to all the nations of the world. God's promises to Abraham are hugely important in understanding the Bible. And that's why if you have a look at the passage that Colin just read in Genesis 25, verse 19... The focus of the story shifts to Isaac, but the author really wants you to not miss who Isaac is. You see it in verse 19, we read, this is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. And then he says it again, just to make sure you don't miss it, Abraham became the father of Isaac. You see, Isaac is not just anybody. He is the child of the promise. He is Abraham's son, the heir of God's promises. He is the next link in the chain, the one through whom God's promises would continue. But that doesn't mean Isaac's life is going to be easy. He's going to be blessed, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And so our first point this morning is that God blesses how he chooses, and that frequently God chooses to bless through difficulty. Have a look. Verse 21, we learn that Rebecca, like her mother-in-law Sarah, was childless. And if you've experienced the grief of childness, you'll, you'll know that pain that Rebecca was going through. But for a woman like Rebecca, in her society, the expectations on her would have made that grief perhaps even deeper than what you or I would experience today. But when we add to that, the fact is that Rebecca was the key link in God's promises continuing. She is the wife of Isaac, the bearer of God's promise. Isaac was the one carrying on the promise. And so if Rebecca doesn't have children, the promise dies. You see, Rebecca is vital to God's promises being fulfilled. And so Isaac prays for her. And God answers that prayer. Rebecca 
falls pregnant. Happy days. But the joy is short-lived, isn't it? Because we see in verse 22 that the pregnancy is difficult. Now, it may come as a surprise to you, but I've never been pregnant. But I think I can still say that pregnancy is usually difficult. Maybe not always, but usually. But what Rebecca experiences here, I, I don't think is so common. The NIV reads the baby's jostled within her. But the Hebrew word used for jostled there, it's the same word that we see in 2 Kings when King Josiah is tearing down altars to false gods and smashing them to pieces. This is not like the little flutters that you feel when the baby's kicking and you go, ooh, that's nice. No, no, these boys are, are smashing each other. There's a demolition derby and Rebecca is the arena. And so the cry, she cries the cry of everyone experiencing pain and suffering. She says, why is this happening to me? Have you ever asked God that question? Why is this happening to me? Why? It's a question that we can't always answer, at least not with any level of certainty. We do know that God uses suffering to strengthen our faith. We do know that God uses suffering to grow us, to help us see our need for Him. But other than that, most of the time we don't know why God gives us difficulties. But what we can know is that our suffering is not beyond God's control. When we suffer, when we face hard times, when we're tempted to say, why is this happening to me? It's not as though God has, has stopped caring for us or that he's dropped the ball. He is still sovereignly working all things for our good. But God blesses how he chooses. And frequently, God chooses to bless through difficulty. Well, Rebecca's pregnancy is difficult, but in verse 24, she finally gives birth to twin boys. She was childless, but instead of doing what Abraham and Sarah did and taking matters into their own hands, Isaac and Rebecca prayed and God answered their prayer. And, and surely that's how God blesses us, right? If we trust him, if we pray to him, surely he will answer our prayers. But that's not what happened. Because God blesses how he chooses, and often that's through difficulty, but God also blesses when he chooses. And hidden within this passage is this little detail that helps us see that Isaac and Rebekah had to wait a long time to receive God's blessing. You see, verse 20 gives us the detail that Isaac was... 40 years old when he married Rebecca. And in verse 26, we see that Isaac was 60 years old when Rebecca gave birth to Jacob and Esau. 20 years. Have you waited 20 years for anything? 20 years ago, I was still gluing 10 cent coins together to try and fix the Coke machine. But the God who promised to bless Abraham. And subsequently, Isaac made Isaac wait 20 years 
for that blessing. 20 years of uncertainty and doubt. 20 years of pain. Can you, can you imagine when God makes you a promise and you're waiting so long? But the God who promises to bless us does not bless us according to our time frame, does he? He blesses how he chooses and he blesses when he chooses. But thirdly, we see that God also blesses whom he chooses. In verse 24, we meet the long-awaited children of Isaac and Rebekah, twin boys. We have Esau, the oldest. He's born red and hairy and he grows up to become a hunter who lives in the open country. And we have Jacob, the younger one, who comes out clutching at Esau's heel. He's born with smooth skin and he's quiet. In adulthood, he prefers to spend his days at home. In today's schoolyard, Esau was on the school rugby team and Jacob spent his lunchtimes in the library. These are these two very different boys. And it seems that their parents play favourites. You see, Isaac likes Esau the best because he likes eating what he hunts. Rebecca likes Jacob the best. And this favouritism is going to go on to wreak havoc in this family down the track. But what's possibly more decisive than Isaac or Rebecca's favouritism is what we see in verse 23, where God reveals that he seemingly has favourites. Verse 23 tells us that God has chosen Jacob and not Esau, the firstborn, to carry on the promises that he made to Abraham. The explanation that God provides for the smashing babies in in Rebekah's womb is that there were two nations within her and that it would be Jacob who would receive God's blessing. God didn't choose the oldest. He didn't choose the strongest. He chose who he chose. Because that's what God does. Friends, the whole Bible tells the story of a God who chooses... Oh, hello. <laughs> trying to work out why friends like, Woo. You are too cute. The whole Bible tells the story of a God who chooses to bless some people and not others. He chooses to make some people rich and not others. He chooses to make some people successful and not others. He chooses to make some people live long and happy lives and not others. He chooses to let some people be born in the peace and prosperity of 21st century Australia, while others struggle through famine in Uganda or war in Ukraine. He chooses some people to belong to him. He chooses some people to be forgiven, some people to be adopted as his children, some people to receive eternal life, and not others. And the question we ask is, why? Why does God bless that person and not this person? How could a good God play favourites like that? 
It doesn't seem fair. I don't know if you've wrestled with this. I've had conversations with many people, many Christians, many lovers of Jesus who, who really struggle with this idea. How is it that God can choose some and not choose others? It doesn't seem fair. By our own measure of fairness, it's not fair. But if God was to give everyone exactly what they deserved, then none of us would be here. Because we deserve nothing from God except for his righteous anger. Now, you may struggle with this idea. If you do, that's okay. We struggle with the idea that God could choose some people and not others. It just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem loving. But what's far more outrageous and far more shocking is that God would choose anyone at all. We deserve nothing from God, and yet he gives us what we don't deserve because he does choose to bless. And so then we start trying to work out what is his criteria? How does he choose who to bless? What is it that makes him choose this person and not that person? Is it that they are good? Is it that they have really good, strong faith? Is there some potential that he sees within these people? that causes him to choose them and not others? And friends, the Bible's answer is no. It is not based on anything that you can see. It's not based on any measure at all. You come to Romans 9 and the Apostle Paul actually picks this passage in Genesis to explain God's sovereign election, his choosing of some and not others. And he says it's not based on anything in us. He says in Romans 9, verse 10, not only this, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born, or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Friends, Jacob wasn't any better than Esau, and in fact, we're about to see that in many ways, Jacob was far worse than Esau. But the sovereign creator who rules this world, and who alone has the right to choose who he will bless, chose to bless Jacob and use his family to bless the world. God chooses, uh, sorry, God blesses, sorry. God chooses how he blesses. He chooses when he blesses, and he even chooses whom he blesses. And there's nothing that we can do to earn God's blessing. There's nothing we can do to manipulate God, to force him to bless us. 
There is nothing in us that makes us deserving of God's blessing. And so the question you have is, what, what do we do? What do we do with this information? Well, friends, the passage actually shows us what not to do. Because as you keep reading in verse 29, we read the story of Jacob manipulating his brother. Esau's been out hunting. He's presumably caught nothing because he comes back famished. He's hungry. He says he's starving to the point of death. And so when he comes and he sees his brother Jacob cooking a pot of red lentil stew, he asks him for some. The NIV translation is far too eloquent here. The Hebrew is more like, the red stuff, let me gulp it, the red stuff. And it would seem like a very small request from your own brother, wouldn't it? But what does Jacob do? He makes a deal. I'll give you some stew if you sell me your birthright. Give me your share of our dad's inheritance. Make me the heir of our father's estate. Esau is about to die. He's like, who cares about a birthright? But Jacob is coldly determined. Swear on oath or you get nothing. So Esau does. He sells his birthright to his brother for a bowl of soup and off he goes. Now, it doesn't paint Jacob in a very positive light. No one reads this story and says, hey, I like this, Jacob. You're like, what a... Ah, it's your brother. My brother did some pretty awful things to me growing up, but this, this is next level. There's pretty clear evidence that God's choice of Jacob was not based on how good he was. This guy is a scoundrel. And so you might expect the end of verse 34 to say, in this way Jacob deceived his brother. Or in this way Jacob robbed his brother. But do you see what it actually says? Do you see the conclusion that the author wants us to see? It's surprisingly different. It says, in this way Esau despised his birthright. We get this story and the author doesn't say, Jacob, he's bad. No, he says, in this way, Esau stuffed up. Esau despised his birthright. Now, what Jacob did was cold and manipulative and wrong. But as far as the author is concerned, what's worse is how Esau, the firstborn son of Isaac, the heir to God's promises, would give that up for soup. As far as Esau knew, he was the one to carry on God's promises. He was the one that God was going to bless in unmeasurable ways. God was holding out to Esau an offer of life in relationship with his creator. God was offering him adoption as a son, but Esau, he only cared about what he could have right now. And so he traded it all away for a bowl of soup. The writer of Hebrews picks up this passage in Hebrews chapter 12 and he writes, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral 
Or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son? Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit his blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought that blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. Friends, there's a warning here for us. God is the God who blesses how he chooses, when he chooses, and whom he chooses. And his ways are hidden for us. It's not for us to decide how God will bless. But he holds out to all of us the offer of life. Through his son Jesus, he says, follow me. Find forgiveness, find eternal life Come and enjoy my blessings forever. He offers us the greatest blessing we could ever imagine. But friends, how easily, like Esau, we are ready to throw it all away, to trade it for what we can get now. How ready we are to give up on church so that we can go out fishing or camping or whatever. How ready are we to neglect meeting with one another because we're so busy with the things that occupy us now, like work? Friends, don't despise God's blessing. He longs to bless you. He loves to bless you. Take hold of them. Receive them. Enjoy them forever. Let me pray. Father God, we have seen this morning that you are the God who loves to bless. That you consistently bless even those who are so undeserving. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who sovereignly chooses. And we are gobsmacked that you would choose to bless us. Help us to see that how you bless is not necessarily how we would like it to be. Help us to know that your ways are better than our ways. Help us to know that when we suffer, that doesn't mean we have been cut off from you, but that you are sovereignly working all things for our good. Help us trust in you when we become impatient. But Lord, help us see that in the Lord Jesus, you offer us a blessing like no other. You offer us life and hope and joy that will last forever. And so, Father, keep us from shunning that. Keep us from despising that. Keep us from exchanging that for the brief hints of joy that we can have now. Help us treasure your blessings, we ask, so that we may enjoy them and that we may enjoy you forever. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.